Hello everyone, my name is Ravi Kumar, President at Infosys. Uh, welcome to this new version of uh, Trailblazers. I know we used to do this uh, in person, but we have switched to a virtual mode. Um, Trailblazers, as most of you know, is a series of conversations with the distinguished leaders who are making significant impact, challenging the status quo, and we draw this uh, leadership series from uh, enterprises, from academia, and from public policymakers. Uh, today, I have such a distinguished guest, um, Carmine DiCibio, the global chair and CEO of uh, Ernst & Young, one of the largest professional services organizations in the world, with more than 280,000 people in more than 150 countries. Uh, Carmine actually started uh, his career in uh, Ernst & Young in 1985, served as an advisory and uh, assurance partner for many financial services clients. Uh, he went on to spearhead innovation efforts, M&A efforts, and then uh, was a global managing partner for client services. And here he is now uh, the EY Global Chair and CEO. Carmine, thank you so much for joining and spending some time today. Ravi, thank you. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for those kind words. You made me sound a little bit old there uh, in terms of 1985, but that is true. I've been at EY for 35 years, but it's great to be here. Carmine, you look young and smart as always. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the fascinating topics of these times is about how businesses are the biggest platforms for societal change. And when this topic came to my mind, uh, there, there wasn't any name which came to me except yours. You are probably uh, a pioneer in this space. You've been uh, in action for many, many years in this space. So um, over to my first question to you, Carmine. Um, in August of last year, almost 180 CEOs in the Business Roundtable publicly abandoned the principle of shareholder primacy. They signed up for it. In fact, uh, you are a part of the Business Roundtable as well, in favor of the view that businesses have an obligation to a broader set of stakeholders, people, communities, customers. And uh, the popular belief uh, of uh, Milton Friedman, who, who wrote 50 years ago, it's just the timing, that the social responsibility of businesses is to maximize shareholder value. Um, some say it doesn't stand the test of time, and some argue the other way around, saying uh, shareholder primacy is not a zero-sum game. Rather, corporations who best serve their customers, communities, and employees are often the ones who serve their shareholders very well as well. Uh, you know, which side of the debate do you fall in and what is your view on this? Well, Ravi, thanks for the question. And uh, obviously I am not for Milton Friedman's uh, statement, um, but I, I go back in history a little bit in corporate history in the U.S. Um, on where corporations were, in particular in the 50s and, and the 60s versus what they became in the 80s and 90s. And if you think about it, in the 50s and 60s, corporations uh, you know, all over the United States uh, were flourishing. Um, there was a lot after the war and so forth to do. There was a lot of manufacturing. And so they, create not, they created a tremendous amount of jobs. Um, they also created wealth. 
Um, but they also created community. So many cities in the US have been built around particular corporations that happened to be there or move there. And, and the corporation worked very much hand in hand. Today we call them public-private partnerships, but hand in hand with local government, state government, to do more and more for the society. And so in the 50s and 60s, I mean, that's what was going on and maybe even into the 70s. I think the 80s and 90s changed things. And I think the market became very different. Um, you know, efficiency, corporate raiders, uh, you know, different market participants kind of forced corporations into being something different, uh, into being something more around shareholder value, period. Um, cutting costs. If you go back in history, a lot of famous CEOs during that time, they made a name for themselves in terms of, you know, uh, Chainsaw Al and all these people cutting costs. And I think that has come to roost. Um, that is not sustainable. And that really has culminated in, to, in last August, where I think, um, you know, companies, corporates in America, but around the world really have said, uh, you know, enough, enough, enough is enough. We have to do more um, and we have to do more. Otherwise, we're not going to be in existence. And, you know, that really spearheaded the business roundtable to gather itself around, you know, what is a corporation? Uh, and a corporation is is an entity that needs to needs to fulfill all its stakeholder needs, not just its shareholders, including its clients, people and society. And as you said, you know, over 180 CEOs signed this declaration about a year and a half ago now. And, uh, and, and, you know, and they're living up to it in different ways. A lot of what we've been doing at EY um, is around that as well. We've been talking a lot around long-term value and making sure that we are we at EY are looking at ourselves from a long-term perspective, but we're also advising our clients to look at themselves from a long-term perspective. And, and Karban, if I, may, if I may just add to what you just said, that was, that's a, those are fascinating thoughts. Is it uh, a, a Milton Friedman plus plus? Is it profit and purpose versus profit versus purpose kind of a thing? Yes. Uh, it's, Ravi, it's an and, not an or. And, and that's important uh, because some people think we're moving all the way to one side and profits don't matter. And so, no, that's not the answer either. Uh, you know, this has to be a balance. Uh, and, and the simple answer is it's an end. So it's it's profits and purpose uh, and, and, and making sure that all stakeholders are taken care of. It's really what creates long-term value in a company. And, and do, you see the balance, uh, do you see the balance uh, uh, happening now? Or? I, I think it's starting to happen and it's happening with some companies more than others. Um, so, you know, some of the leaders of the business roundtable, I'd see it happening. And it's happening, Ravi, for a lot of different reasons. We'll get to the pandemic in a second. But, but you know, if you think about employees, you know, in this world today, if you don't have the best talent, and you know this at Emphasis, if you don't have the best talent, you're not going to win at the end of the day. And employees are demanding a lot of different things from their companies. And, and so you have to satisfy your employees. You have to make your place of work, a place they want to be at. Uh, you have to make it so there's upward mobility in your place of work, and you have to make it an environment and a culture that they're going to want to be in. And so the employees have had more and more of a say because of the fact that that there's so much talent that's needed 
out there than ever before. And then you get into, into clients. I mean, clients are a big factor here and or customers. You and I are in a similar business and, uh, you know, we always say clients are important. And I always tell our leaders, you know, you might have an internal role like you and I do, but, but you know, it's important that we're out there with clients. That's what, you know, that's what pays the bills. We have to understand our clients and our customers. Um, and then, and then the third area is society. And that's where today it's very different than five, 10 years ago, because, you know, capitalism has been, has been, you know, brought out on the table and said, is capitalism the better way to go? Uh, and, and, and the only way it's going to be the better way to go is if everyone does better because of capitalism. And there's no doubt over the last five to 10 years that uh, there's been a divide and, some people have done much better uh, and others have not come along at the same rate. And that's something that we're all trying to deal with in terms of helping society overall. And uh, Carmine, uh, do you believe that this conversation now is an inflection point for everybody to join the party, as they call it? Or um, do you see this uh, differentiating the good and the bad much more? Uh, in terms of uh, corporations who who sign up for this, uh, uh, you know, broader, uh, uh, you know, a, a broader charter for themselves. I actually think it is an inflection point, Ravi, and I think, in a strange way, the pandemic and some of the events around the world have helped this. So some of the racial inequities in the United States that have broadened globally uh, have brought out the fact that uh, that things are not equal and that uh, that people need more of a chance and and that there's bias in the world. The other uh, item that's come out of the pandemic and the importance of it uh, is around sustainability. Uh, and we have to do more for the planet. Uh, and this is something that, you know, some people thought once we got into this pandemic, like no one would care about the environment anymore. And that's not true. I am seeing completely the opposite. Um, there's more focus on the environment, uh, some of it because of what we're seeing out there. You know, fires in California, hurricanes, more hurricanes than ever been on, in the Americas. Um, and so so these two things, social inequity and sustainability and, and the environment, are two things that are coming out, coming out of the pandemic, and all companies are focused on. Thank you, Carmine. Uh, just to follow up on uh, this specific topic, you spoke about long-term value. Uh, and I know you are you're almost uh, leading that effort of 30 large uh, enterprises on the embankment project for inclusive capitalism, for measuring long-term sustainable value and uh, driving uh, driving the financial markets to value that uh, uh, value it in that way and change the way they value today. Uh, how is that effort going and how does that consortium, it's $30 trillion of assets underneath that, almost 30% of the global GDP. Uh, how, does, uh, how does that consortium help uh, change the narrative with the financial markets? So, Ravi, we started the embankment project over, over two years ago now, and it really was focused on, on the long term. And we got companies together uh, to come up with you know, how do we really uh, propose and how do we really uh, push for long-term value? And as part of that, we developed some metrics that we wanted, you know, companies to really disclose. And the nice thing was it was 30 global companies. We put out a report and it was not only, it was asset managers, asset owners, and corporates. 
And everyone agreed that these long-term value metrics were incredibly important. And we did a deep dive into human capital metrics as part of that project. Um, and that report was put out and so forth probably about a year ago or so. The nice thing is, is that, that that fit very well into the BRT statement and into what BRT was doing. And so, so then the BRT came out with its statement in terms of what a corporation is. But to me, what's even more exciting is that then beyond that, we've been part of um, a, a real effort that's been going on at the International Business Council, which is part of the World Economic Forum. And the International Business Council is run by Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, and it has over 120 of the largest companies in the world as members. Um, and Brian Moynihan, combined with Klaus Schwab, uh, the leader of the World Economic Forum, pulled together um, their teams as well as all of the big four. So not just EY, but KPMG, DT, and PwC to work together on a project to create metrics that all the IBC members would rally around and disclose in terms of you know, their efforts towards these metrics. And so this, was, this has been over a year-long project that we've been working on with the other big four. So our teams came up with 21 metrics. Um, the metrics are divided into four categories, people, planet, prosperity, and governance. Actually, each one of the big four took a category. Uh, they were socialized, they were developed, and now we put out a report about a month ago on what these metrics are. And we've been talking to all our clients out there, all the companies, trying to make sure that we have support in getting these companies to use these metrics. And the plan is, is that by, uh, by January at the next World Economic Forum, there will be a similar signing uh, as the BRT that a certain amount of the IBC members will commit to disclosing these 21 metrics in those categories that I mentioned. And so this will be a start to getting all companies to disclose metrics in those four different areas that really fit right into long-term value and what long-term value is. So with the advent of digital capabilities, um, there is a shift from degrees to skills because skills are depleting faster and, uh, and they're shrinking faster. And the pandemic, in some sense, has accelerated those digital uh, digital embrace. And in a way, uh, I think as we get to the other side of the crisis, skills will play a bigger role. And as they play a bigger role, I would believe that uh, the divide and the inclusion inclusion conversation you did uh, it might uh, contribute positively to it because cost of education has gone up by 150 percent in the last 20 years versus 20 versus 50 percent of inflation in the last 20 years in the united states so digital jobs in some ways will start to bridge that divide uh, what's your view on this and i know you ey is doing a ton of work in this space i agree with you 100 percent on this um we are doing a lot of work um in particular in the u.s in different cities where we and other companies uh, are combining with local colleges, community colleges, to create programs where people can be skilled in particular technologies, and then we will hire them. What we're also doing, Ravi, is you know over time what's happened, and, and this is true across all our clients, all these jobs out there, the specs for the jobs are way overqualified versus what's needed for the job. And so, you know, you need a PhD to do a simple job these days. So 
we're all going back and most companies are doing this and re-looking at the requirements to make sure that the requirements are really apt for the job. And I think that's going to help as well. Skills development, in particular in tech, is the future. I think it will be something that will help um, the have-nots more than almost anything else. And I also think it's time that the educational system in the United States uh, needs to really be looked at hard um, because, you know, paying $75,000 a year for a four-year degree um, is, uh, and look, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the school I went to, but that's something that's got to be looked at very carefully because unless you see real value in that, that's not going to exist going forward. And I think more in terms of developing skills, um, skills that are needed in particular, obviously in technology, uh, that's the way going forward. And it's going to be a really good way to, to bring the divide closer together um, and to help everyone uh, out there. Thank you, Carmine. Uh, one other force, which is ironically, again, the pandemic, which has kind of uh, accelerated it, is virtualization and democratization of work. Uh, as more and more work goes virtual, in, and I know on the other side of the health crisis, we'll still be in a hybrid workplace and not fully go back to the world we all lived in. Uh, as work gets virtualized, it will go away from rich urban settings to a much broader spectrum of the society. And therefore, it we would give uh, it would it would get access to uh, rural settings. It will get access to people who want to part-time work, who had disabilities and couldn't access workspaces, uh, and a variety of things. And uh, and I believe that's again uh, that's again an inflection point to to contribute to inclusivity and diversity in workspaces. That's something which I personally believe will happen uh, after the crisis. No, I, I agree. I think it will happen as well, Ravi. And, uh, you know, as, as I've heard some people say, we're getting a, the crisis has caused us to get a glimpse of the future. And, uh, and, and I think that's accurate. Um, and so I do think there are a lot of positives in terms of what you're saying, in terms of people being able to work anywhere, getting more of the rural community into jobs where they, they can work from home. Um, so I'm in agreement with all that. Um, but uh, what I am not in agreement with is, um, you know, the way we're working today, this just continuing. People are social animals. I think people are, are going to want to be together. I think office environments are here to stay. They will change. Um, there'll be more convening space and so forth, which a lot of offices were already moving to that. We had 15 to 20% of our people working from home on any given day before the pandemic. But is that going to be 30 or 40% on any given day going forward? Maybe, yeah. but it's not going to be 90. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not going to be 90. Right now where we are, there's actually much more of a burning need for people to get together. People are suffering mental health. You know, CEOs are worried about their culture. The culture is going away. You know, we were able to last this way for five or six months, mostly on the capital that it was built prior to the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but as we come up to now, what will be a year, that's going to be a big impact on many companies. And so I do think there'll be a balance, to, to your point. Um, you might see a little bit of a, you know, a, a reaction to try, everyone trying to get back at one time. I think yeah. you're going to see that travel, actually, in leisure <coughs> travel at some point. But after you get through all that, I would agree. There'll be, there will be a way to do this that, uh, that will make sense. Thank you, Karman. I just want to squeeze one last question for you. And uh, this is my personal favorite. 
It's a little bit about your own personal story, and I think the audience should know this. You are a living proof of an American dream. I wanted to check with you. You know, I, I heard a statement from Ray Dalio, the founder of uh, the biggest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates, recently speak about uh, how the American dream doesn't exist. What do you think is the possibility of everyone who, who aspires to, to attain the American dream, like you? I don't agree with Ray Dalio. I think the American dream does exist. Um, I think it takes a lot of hard work and maybe some luck. You know, as, as you probably read, uh, I was an immigrant into the United States. I came here with my family when I was three years old. Um, I came here from Italy, a southern, southern Italian town where I was born. I learned how to speak English in the school systems, in the public school systems. And uh, I have one brother. Uh, he was like me, except he was younger. So he was only six months old when he came here. And uh, my parents are, are blue collar people. My mom eventually didn't work, but she was a seamstress. And uh, my dad um, was a construction person. And basically, um, the one thing, though, that they encouraged, Ravi, is education. And, uh, and I think that's the trick here. And that's the American dream. I think if people are focused on education, and today that might be skills, as we were talking about. I think there's the it's still the best place in the world to get ahead. And I was fortunate enough to to have my parents really focus us on education. And uh, when I say focus, I mean if you got a 90, that was not good enough. You needed to get a 98. Um, and that's the way my brother and I grew up. And we we're fortunate enough to go to good schools and get good jobs and so forth. I still think a lot of that's alive in the U.S. today, but the parents and so forth have to be focused on education and getting their kids uh, educated um, and so forth. And I think if that's the case, the American dream is still alive and kicking. Thank you so much, Carmine, for sharing that uh, such an inspirational story. On that good positive note, I know we can keep talking forever, but on that good positive <laughs> note, I would like to end this conversation. Thank you for inspiring us every day and then actually i read about you very often and i keep getting inspired to get up and do more and more and thank you for this wonderful conversation today thank you ravi it's been great being here and thank you for all you do out in the marketplace and with society as well you and you and, and the team at emphasis it's a great organization and as you know we work together well so thank you thank you so much thank you carmine thanks for that wonderful conversation mm -hmm.